Hi, welcome. So we are going to be dedicating some beautiful children. This is such a fun day when we get to do this. Uh, welcome, families. Welcome, welcome. So uh, here's what this is all about. There's a story in the Old Testament part of the Bible about a woman who had difficulty getting pregnant. And she wasn't able to have a kid. And she said, God, if you would just give me a kid, I don't care if they talk when I'm talking. You know what I mean? It's a, I don't care. I'm just kidding. It's, it's part of the deal. She said, if you would just give me a kid, then I will dedicate this child back to you. And so she did it. God gave her a kid. She took the kid to the temple. And so that is kind of the, the genesis of this idea. And so families, every generation since, have taken that as an idea. And they've said, well, we're not going to like drop our kid off at the temple to work there. But, but we will dedicate this child back to you, God. We will recognize that this child is a gift from you. We will recognize that, that you love this child even more than we do, that this child is yours first, and we want to play our role as, as parents of pointing this kid or these children back to you because you've created each one uniquely. You have made each one of these beautiful kids their own. They're a masterpiece. There's no one else like them. And these parents are saying, we want to dedicate them back to you, A. B, to help draw out the uniqueness that you have put in every single one of them. And every single one of them. That one day they would know you, walk with you, and use all that you have made them to be to honor you. And here's a bonus. We as a community are a part of this. No child is raised in a vacuum. It takes a village. And so we are saying together that we are in this with you, that, that we commit to come alongside in a, in a physical, practical sense, also in a spiritual sense of just saying, yes, we're going to pray. We believe this. We're with you. God, we thank you for this awesome day. We thank you for these wonderful families. We thank you that we get to be here and support of them and praying your blessing over them. We pray for your favor on their life, God, and we dedicate them to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, God, and Logan, and Sam, and Brody, and Bobby, your children that you have designed uniquely, and we ask that you would bless them. We ask that you would draw out who you've made them to be, that you would empower their families and friends and community to point them in the direction of you that they would know you from a young age, that they would feel your love and your presence and your support of their loving community. Uh, we pray your blessing over these families and these beautiful children. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Thank you, guys. You can go this way. Bobby, now you get that treat you were promised. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is why we have an overflow room. Uh, <laughs> so that you too, when your children or loved ones are making noise, you can, there's a TV over there. And you can eat food over there, and you can watch, and you can still be a part of it and participate. 
It is, uh, it is on days like today, child dedications, um, birthdays, times like this, even, even the other side of the equation, funerals, these, these kinds of events when we celebrate life and we remember that our days are numbered, that we don't know how many days that we have. That, and that we see these new young lives and this new generation growing up and coming up. And, and it, it inspires us to, to say, you know, wow, it's a, it's a new start. It's a new family. It's these beautiful children. And I, I remember when some of you who are in this season, I remember when I dedicated my kids and now they're so much older. Or some of you that have weird memories. I remember when I was dedicated uh, as a little kid. Or, or I remember when I saw this thing happen and, and it, makes, it makes us ask the question, how have I been living? Am I living a life that is passing on to the next generation? Am I living a life that's leaving behind a legacy? For, for kids like this, perhaps, or maybe if you never have kids, for others that are close to you in your life, is my life making a difference? Am I doing the best that I can? Uh, if you are someone who follows Jesus, if you're trying to honor God with your life, then certainly you ask questions about, is my life counting? Am I, am I leveraging the gifts and the abilities and the time and opportunities that he's given me for good and passing that on in others' lives? Of course, you're asking that question. Even if you're not sure about God and this church thing is new or different to you, you still value this question. You still want to be someone who's living a life of purpose. People do. There's a famous quote from Winston Churchill. He says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. All of us have built in this knowledge, this awareness that life is not just about us. In our culture, we try to get consumed. We can get consumed just living for us, but we know, we know at our core that we should share our lives with others. Now, I was talking with this woman not too long ago, who uh, was making like a parenting statement, and she was like, I don't teach my kids to share. That's dumb. Think about it. I, when you grow up, you don't share. And I was like, really? <laughs> and then she had like this, this story. She goes, no, it's not like kindergarten when I'm forced to share my favorite pencil with someone and I never get it back. And like, obviously, this was a traumatic incident for you. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry about this. I can get you a pencil uh, engraved or whatever would help. But th this, was, this was a thing for her. So she said, that's why I don't teach my kids to share because as you grow up, you don't share anymore. You just have your stuff. And so I pressed a little bit and I said, really? You don't share your experiences with anybody? You don't share wisdom with people? You don't share meals with anybody that you know or care about? You've never shared a ride? You haven't uh, given money away ever to someone in need or your church or a charity that you believe in? You've never shared your most valuable asset of time? You don't share anything? And she was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not thinking about this right. We share our lives. It's a part of it. We share our lives and we find 
that as we share our lives, something mysterious happens and we feel fulfilled. We're wired that way. We feel fulfilled when we are sharing, when we are investing in the lives of other people. Even if you don't have kids of your own, you still will ask yourself, what am I leaving behind me? When I go, I'm not going to live forever. What will I leave behind? And this is important because we're in this culture where we're working so hard. We live in this coastal community where you have to. You work hours. you're, You're trying different things. You're working two jobs, trying to make ends meet just to stay here, just to be able to do normal stuff here. Uh, Maybe you're not even keeping up with the Joneses. You're just trying to not have to move away. And and it can be intense. And so we can get so caught up in this rat race almost that we don't pause and stop and think, am I living beyond myself? Will my life, will my legacy last beyond just my lifetime? In this relationship series that we've been in, we've been looking at these famous verses from 1 Corinthians, these famous wedding verses, uh, but no one really you know, talks about after weddings. Uh, and so we've been looking at them a little bit more closely, and I want to read it one last time. This is our last Sunday talking about this passage. 1 Corinthians, it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And then this next line, this is where we're going to be this morning. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will one day become useless, but love will last forever. In other words, Spiritual gifts are great. Wisdom, influence, insight, all good things, but they're not enough. It's love that lasts forever. Okay, that's the spiritual way of talking about it. Here's another way that we could talk about it. Skills and abilities are great. Your career and your corporate contribution in the world, important, but not enough. It's love that lasts forever. So how can your life have a lasting impact? How can you live a life where your impact, your love, your legacy far outlasts you? Whether or not you have a family, whether or not you're even on board with this Jesus thing, there are three examples that we're going to look at. Very practical. I wanted this morning to be very, very practical. Three examples that you will be able to take and walk with as you leave this place today. Three examples from Scripture. And I want to start, we're going to look at really the life of Jesus. Jesus is God in skin, we believe. And we also believe what the Bible says, that God is love, that they're synonymous, that they are one and the same, that love is God and God is love. And so if Jesus was God in skin, then that means Jesus is also the embodiment of God and Jesus is also the embodiment of love. And so if Jesus is the embodiment of love, he is a great example to glean from, to watch. And he did all kinds of divine stuff that we can't emulate, like living perfectly, uh, like the thing where he predicted his death and resurrection and then did it. (laughs) Uh, So you're not going to do that. But he also did some human things 
that he, la- that he left as an example that you and I can do, that we can follow this example. And in that way, let our lives live on beyond us. Jesus did regular stuff, and he was in some ways a regular guy. You know, he was a carpenter. You know why he was a carpenter? Because his dad was a carpenter. That's why he was a carpenter, because his dad was. And he grew up in a time and a place where you just did what your dad did, and so he learned the family trade, and he worked with wood, and he sanded stuff, and he hammered stuff, and he built stuff, and that's what he did for most of his life before his public ministry. And then when he got to his public ministry, when he kind of busts onto the scene and starts doing crazy miracles and stuff, he did so as a teacher, as, as a rabbi. He kind of followed some of those same normal things that rabbis did. Except for he did something that was a little bit different than most rabbis. Most rabbis, they had this like process of recruiting followers or disciples. And they, went, they had this education process. And every good little Jewish boy would, be, would grow up and they would learn all about what's called the Torah. And they would memorize large, large portions of scripture. And then they would be recruited based on their worth, based on their uh, education, based on what they were capable of, uh, whether or not they could follow a particular rabbi. And so rabbis would just take the cream of the crop. And most people didn't make the cut. And the best rabbis around, the most impressive, articulate rabbi teachers, Jewish teachers around, would take the best and the brightest, the Harvard-type kids, and they would say, okay, well, you, you, guys, you guys come. But Jesus, he recruited, he went out and found the very utmost average disciples. These, these were the rabbinic school dropouts, These are the ones who didn't make the cut. They're the ones who scored a little bit lower. Their scantrons had a lot of red lines on them, right? They they did not impress. And so they got sent back to their dad's trade. If it was carpentry or fishing or something like that, they got sent back and said, okay, thanks for playing. Go work with your dad. But Jesus went back to those guys and he said, you're the ones I want to Come and follow me. He chose regular people and he shared life with regular people in regular moments. So that's the first point that I want to highlight for you. Regular moments. A big part, a foundational part of how you give your life away to others happens in regular day-to-day unimpressive moments. Uh, 200 years before Jesus, there was this rabbi named Yoezer. He was one of the earliest members of the rabbinic movement, and he has this famous quote about rabbis. It says this. He says, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise, and powder thyself in the dust of their feet, and drink their words with thirstiness. He's telling disciples Powder yourself in the dust of your rabbi's feet. And so there's this saying that's been brought along for generations called, follow in the dust of your rabbi. That as a disciple, that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So a rabbi would wear uh, sandals um, sort of like this. These are a little bit more feminine. Uh, a, a, little bit, a little bit more contemporary. But just imagine with me. 
uh, that these would be sandals that a rabbi would be wearing, and they would kick up dirt everywhere they went. That's why people washed feet back in that day, do you know? Because they didn't have concrete, they didn't have a lot of grass, it was a lot of dirt, and their feet were nasty because they wore open shoes like this, and they would kick up the dust wherever they went. And so rabbis had this practice of saying, my disciples, come follow me and be so close that you're caked in the dust from my feet. And Jesus followed in that pattern. But he went and he called very regular people, and he told very regular people, come and follow me. And follow me so close that you are caked in the dust of my feet. And in saying that, Jesus was telling his very average, very regular disciples, I believe in you. And I believe that you can learn from me, that you can follow my example, and one day you can do the things that I am doing. Here's the key. Follow so closely that you just get covered in my dust. Follow so closely that you hear my words, that you see what I'm doing and you understand why, that you see me in this circumstance and you understand my grace and my mercy, that you see how I treat this person and you treat them that way too. I believe in you, average person, and you can do the things that I am doing. Now walk with me in the regular moments, in the regular everyday moments of life. And then here's what happened. The disciples that did walk in the regular moments with Jesus, Acts 4 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They looked at these guys who were doing impressive, mind-blowing things for unschooled, ordinary guys, and they took note, hey, these guys, they're covered in the dust of Jesus. He's a, he's a different kind of rabbi. Look at what he has produced. The people that spend time with him are just different. Friends, Jesus didn't just say, come follow me 2,000 years ago to 12 guys. He says it still to you and I, day after day, regular moment after regular moment. Come and follow me. Follow me so close, in fact, that you just get caught up in my dust. Listen so carefully that you hear my whisper in my voice, and I'll show you how to do this. Because I believe in you, regular, ordinary person. I believe that if you follow closely with me, you will become like me. You will do the things that I am doing because I chose you. Stay close to me. Right before Jesus was on his way to the cross and he was going to die and resurrect and go back into heaven, he says this in John 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. In other words, even though I'm going to go, you can still remain close. This is not over by any stretch. Even though you can't see me, I am with you. I am in you. We can still walk together. We can still talk together. This is for you. This is the place that we have to start. We're going to get really practical in a few moments, but this is the place we have to start, understanding that our life and our legacy that we leave for others begins with 
us walking closely and being covered in the incredibly unique, distinct dust of this Rabbi Jesus. So stay where you are. Think about that for a moment as we sing one more song, and then I'll be back. So we follow Jesus' example of sharing regular moments, day-to-day moments with the people closest to us. We share life as we go. We let other people get caught up in our dust, in our sphere of influence, as, as we go about what we do. Even if, look, even if, you're not completely bought into this Jesus thing and you're not sure that he's God and you're not sure you want to follow him, you still know how valuable this is to bring others along with you, to show them the way, to make them feel valued, that they can contribute. So what, what would it take for you to be intentional about taking someone with you as you go this week, this month, You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be a super spiritual person. You don't need to be a super successful person. There is someone who would love to go with you to that business meeting, to that appointment, to that movie, to dinner, to whatever it is. There's someone that would love to be caught up. Even if you don't feel like what you do is very impressive, there is someone who would love an invitation from you to say, hey, come with me as I go about this regular part of my life because I see something in you. I believe in you. I value you. Uh, about two months ago, my friend Eric Bowles was here teaching. Some of you remember him. He is uh, an impressive dude. And uh, I, he's a great friend, and I wanted him to be here because he's been an inspiration to me, and I wanted him to inspire you. Uh, several years back, before Hillary and I moved to Orange County, I was living up in Tacoma, Washington. I put my whole life here on hold, and I was up there not knowing what was next. And it was kind of this shifting, transitionary, insecure time in my life. But this big church up there asked me to, to speak at the church, and so I did so. I wasn't sure you know, why or what I was doing, but I finished, and I came down the steps, and there was this sixth three athletic looking, big, impressive black guy that approached me and he said, hey, I'm Eric Bowles. And I was like, hi, I already think you're cool. <laughs> and, and he just leaned in and he goes, brother, you have a gift. And my soul was so thirsty for encouragement. I needed that. And he said, you have a gift. You need to do this. What do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. I, I think that I'm supposed to speak and write. I think that that's how God's wired me. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And he says, I just want to affirm that. You need to do that. And then he said, how long are you going to be in town? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> My life is up in the air. I'm here indefinitely. And he said, well, then come with me. I want to show you what I do. And he was a corporate speaker. He did training for corporations and leaders and uh, executives in business. And so he took me. We flew across the country to Boston. And he took me as he taught the executives and the managers of Dunkin' Donuts about his you know, deal that he does and how to maximize who you are and leverage that in business. 
And he told me as we went what he was doing, why he was doing it. We just got to eat together and have fun. And he said, you can do this. And I believed him. I didn't play in the NFL. I didn't have that cool thing going for me. But somehow, I still believed him because he believed in me. A regular guy, not sure which direction my life was going. God took my life in a slightly different direction, but it was in part because of that belief. You can do this. You know somebody that you could invest your life in, that you could just take on one trip like that, that you could just have one afternoon with, and it would mean so much to them. For you to look at them when they feel overlooked, and you could say, I see something in you. Maybe you can do what I'm doing, or maybe I just wanted to spend time with you and tell you I think you should be doing this, or I see you in this way. You could invest your life in the regular moments of your life and have a meaningful impact on someone else. And in doing so, your life, your legacy lives on in them beyond you. So we make use of regular moments, intentionally sharing our life with the people around us. The second example that we see all throughout Scripture is making special markers. Special markers. John chapter 1, verse 42 says this, Then Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples, brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas which means Peter. He changed his name in that moment. Now, Peter and Jesus had lots of regular moments that they went about their life together over three years-ish, but this was a special marker. In this moment, Jesus locks eyes with a guy named Cephas and tells him, you are no longer this man. I see something in you, and I'm creating a marker today. You will not go back. You will go forward from here as Peter. You are Peter, which means rock. You don't see yourself as a rock, but I see this in you, and I want you to remember from this day forward, you are a new man, a different man. This is who you are. He created a marker for Peter that he would always have to look back on that day when my name changed. All throughout the Old Testament, he has, God has his followers. When they go through something that's significant, like the parting of the Red Sea, when, when a, a whole ocean of, of water, a sea of water, stands up and you walk across on dry land, it's kind of a big deal. So they commemorated that by taking a bunch of stones. I'll try not to let these fall on your lap. And placing them, stones much larger than this, and they took not just a couple of minutes, but a day. And they would build these altars. And they would build them large and impressive. And they would sacrifice on them and do things like that. But they would have an altar to remember what Jesus did, what God did on their behalf that day. That when we go forward from here, we will never forget what happened on this day. That even when things are difficult, we can look back and we can know God is the God of miracles. That he has a plan. 
And we will remember that things changed this day. Friends, you can create special markers for the people in your life. My parents, if you've been around, you may have heard me tell the story about my parents making a marker of my 16th birthday. They, fee- they believed that there weren't enough natural markers in people's lives anymore. What do you got? A high school graduation, you got a college graduation, you got marriage. So they wanted to create another one. My 16th birthday, for them, they manufactured this marker and made it my journey to manhood. That when you turn 16, Caleb, you're becoming a man. And so my parents had 30 adult friends in my life write letters to me about what it meant to become a man, to transition to adulthood. I still have the notebook. My grandma went one step further, and she created this book. It says, Grandmother Remembers. In the back of it is the actual letter that my dad sent out. And in the same little plastic, she put her letter and she put a photo of my grandfather. He was a genius piano player. And she filled this book full of photos of me growing up, photos of her life, where she lived, where she was born, who her grandparents were, her parents. We lived in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, when your dad was born photo of my dad. In it, she talks about being born in, where the heck is that? Woodville, Oklahoma is where she was born. As a young girl, the things that she loved, her favorite song was Sentimental Journey. Sounds terrible. (laughs) Her favorite movie was The Wizard of Oz. Favorite actor, Jimmy Stewart. Actress, can't even read that book, Little Women, I have this memory of my grandmother. You know why that's extra special and important? Because she just died. But her life lives on. Her legacy lives on. And her impact in my life, her love lives on in me. And she had created a marker for me to look back on and say, look, I became a man at this time. And it was almost as if my grandmother was saying, this is your heritage. Now you go and leave your own legacy. Friends, you can do that. You can do that for your kids. You can do that for your grandkids. You can do that if you never have kids with nieces and nephews and neighbors and other people that you mentor, maybe you mentor kids here. Maybe you join a men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, and you mentor in that fashion. You can create special markers because Jesus didn't just do stuff 2,000 years ago. He's still doing stuff now. And he's still looking at you and saying, Ben, Sue, you once were this person. Now I call you this. This is your future. He is still creating markers for you. You can create markers for other people in your life. And you can make life memorable. You take regular moments 
We create special markers and make them memorable. The third and last thing I'm going to mention is intentional meals. All throughout the Bible, there are intentional meals. Celebrations, dinners, festivals. They would use food as markers, not just now in the 21st century, but generation after generation after generation. Since the beginning of time, people would gather around meals and they would make intentional moments around food. Jesus had the most intentional moment, the most famous dinner. It's called the Last Supper. And he pulled his disciples together on his way to the cross when he was on his way knowing that he's going to be sacrificing himself for the sins of the world. And he says, let's have dinner. And at dinner, he takes some bread and he takes some wine. And he says, I want you to continue to do this periodically. And I want you to remember this. Look at this line from Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. It was on this day when traditionally throughout history up until that point, they would sacrifice a lamb. And the lamb's blood was supposed to represent cleansing of all their sins. On this night, Jesus says, I want you to remember that no more lambs have to die. I'm the last sacrifice. I'm going to allow my body to be broken. That's what this bread represents. I'm going to allow my blood to be poured out. That's what this wine represents. And I want you to continue to do this going forward. I want you to continue to gather, and I want you to have meals. And when you do, I want you to remember me. And I want you to remember my sacrifice. And I want you to remember that when you're gathered with other human people, other regular people around a meal, that you're all vulnerable and that you need food to survive. And it's kind of humiliating that if you don't eat the food, you die. But I want you in those moments to remember that you need me even more than the food. I want you to remember when you gather together intentionally over meals that it's really me that you need. That it's the sacrifice that I made that was for you. And I want you to share these intentional meals with other people and remember and reflect on that fact that more than calories, you need me. And if you uh, do the church thing, if you've done it for a long time, you probably would anticipate that we would do something called communion next. We're not going to. Because I want you to leave here and go have a meal with somebody. And I want you to intentionally share a meal, recognizing that you're, whoever you're with, you're all frail, regular, human people that need food to survive. But even more than the food, you need Jesus, who is the last and final sacrifice, so that you could have life, not just now, but forever. That's what you can do. So when you leave here and you go to lunch, or maybe it's dinner tonight, or maybe it's just sometime this week, will you be intentional about creating a moment over a meal? And, and don't get out like gold goblets and stuff like that. 
You don't even, don't get caught up in the religiousness of it. You don't even, it, it doesn't even need to be bread. I'm not a heretic. It doesn't. The point is remembering the sacrifice and that you need him more than you even need the food. So we can follow Jesus' example and we can share regular moments and invite people along with us. We can make special markers. Today is a day things change. Remember this, I believe in you. And we can be intentional with meals. So as you go today, would you look for the opportunity and for the people that you can invite to go along with you and to share a meal? Don't get stressed out about it and think you have to be pastoral and religious. Just say, hey, this reminds us that we're frail, regular humans, and we need him. Happy to be here with you at this meal. That's it. No more song. No communion. That's for you. Would you stand with me? I want to pray a simple blessing over you before you go. Oftentimes, we conclude our services this way, and I invite people just to open up their hands. It's just a simple posture. It's not anything weird. It's just a simple posture as if to say, I'm receiving from God. I am not my own source. You're not receiving from Caleb. You're receiving from your creator. So I just want to pray a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. May you walk in the dust of your rabbi Jesus. And may you love others in a way that extends your life beyond yourself to future generations, to people that you know and love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.